last week, as I mentioned just a few minutes ago, we, we began a new series. And I typically, for the most part, uh, most of the time I teach in a series format. We build upon a subject and we go into it. I think our last one actually went two months. We shared some things. And, and by the way, all those, all those previous sermons, they're all on the Internet on our website. You know, if you go on in our bulletin, it'll share our website and everything. And, and uh, probably six years or more worth of sermons that are on there. Any, any type of topic that you're interested, it's probably in there. Amen. And uh, in fact, a lot of the healing schools, they're all on there. Brother Dan, all the classes that he taught in the last few years, they're all on there too. Amen. Brother Dan, raise your hand. Amen. Praise the Lord. Brother Dan is a great teacher of the Word of God. Amen. And uh, pretty soon he'll be teaching again. Amen. <laughs> With his work schedule working out. Praise the Lord. It's like that song, I've been working on the railroad all the live long day, right? He's been literally, you know. <laughs> Praise God. Well, Father, today we thank you for the, the privilege and the opportunity right now to administer the Word of God. And, and I wholeheartedly lean not on myself, but I lean on you this morning. I pray that you give us the right words to speak and the right words to say that would bless and minister to everybody that's in this room today. And we'll, we'll, not, we'll not go out of here the same way we came in, Lord. You're filling our cups to overflow with your grace and with your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. No matter what kind of week you might have had, I know I didn't take a survey, but no matter what type of week that you had, no matter what kind of setbacks that you might have had, you survived. You ever see those t-shirts, I survived, amen? Well, God doesn't want you just to survive. He wants you to thrive, amen? And I believe these messages are geared to, to help us in this particular area. If you have your Bibles today, or you can just look up on the screen here, uh, to the book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter and the 6th verse. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. But without faith, there we go. But without faith, Hebrews eleven six, it is impossible to please him for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Amen. You see that verse? Without faith it's impossible to please God. We said last week, and I'll just review just a little bit because we're talking about the subject of faith, living by faith. And uh, it says it's impossible to please God without faith. Would you say... With a resounding yes that faith is the only avenue whereby you can please God? Yes. Okay. Now when we say faith, there's other words for that. Trust. Okay. There's, God wants to be trusted more than anything else. And faith is simple as far as it just means you trust what God says. You trust what he says as final authority. Amen. And he says without faith it's impossible to please God for he that cometh to God that will be prayer, must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. I made mention of the fact last week that when it comes to even worship and singing and lifting our hands, the Bible talks about all that stuff. And I remember that back in the day when that was a new thing to me. Lifting my hands, are you kidding me? I never, I thought, what are they doing? You know what I mean? I wasn't raised in a church like that. 
But then the pastor, he was from Wales over in, over in uh, the UK and uh, had that English accent. He got up and went through several scriptures about, how it, about lifting your hands, lifting your voices. I thought, look at that. It's in the Bible. Amen. And I tell you, the first time I did it, I almost felt like embarrassed. I felt like everybody's going to stand there and stare at me. You know what I mean? But come to find out, they weren't. Okay? Because when my sister dragged me to this full gospel church, I thought, what am I doing in this church? You know? I'm used to a dead Methodist church, right? I grew up in a Methodist church that, that particular church, we won't go into that. It was bad. Okay? And they didn't believe anything except the Reader's Digest. The, <laughs> The preacher literally would get up and he would read. I remember stories from the, I still remember stories he'd read from the Reader's Digest. And I'm thinking, years later, I'm thinking, are you kidding me? You replaced the Bible with Reader's Digest. You know what I'm saying? That's another story for another day. But, but I began to realize that even when we worship, you have to do it by faith because you don't literally see God. You don't see Jesus, but he's there. Okay? And so, I began, the times that you get most blessed and refreshed is when you do it when no one's looking. Because you do it by faith. Because most of my worship is in private, not in public. Okay? And I, I do it all the time. I get in the car, drive around, or if I'm walking or praying, Lord, I thank you, I worship you. I'm walking through a store somewhere. I don't, people don't know what I'm doing, but I'm saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, I worship you. And, uh, but I, I believe there's no way that we can be a diligent seeker of God unless we first believe that He is. It's called practicing the presence of the Lord. Right? Say practice. practice. So we can practice the presence of the Lord. And you don't have to see someone to know that He's real. Have you ever talked on the phone before? Of course you have. Now, you may not, that person may be hundreds of miles, maybe thousands of miles away, but you're on the phone talking to them. You don't say, you know, I don't, I don't really believe that I'm hearing you because I can't see you. But you believe it, right? And so God, even though we can't physically see him, he's right here in this room right now. His presence is right here. Boy, that's exciting, isn't it? Just to know that he's with us all the time. He doesn't come and go like fair-weathered friends that come and go in your life. You know, do you ever have some people in your life, you know, you never know if they're coming or going. <laughs> I'm so glad God's not like that. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you even to the ends of the earth. Okay? And so without faith, it's impossible to please him. Hallelujah. Now, we saw some scriptures last week, and I'm just going to quote the reference because of time right now, but Habakkuk 2.4, Romans 1.16 and 17, Galatians 3.11, Hebrews 10.38. Did you get that? Okay. All those scriptures say the same thing, that the just shall live by faith. Okay, now last week, we, of course, we went through each of those, and I took our time and went, went through those scriptures. But all these scriptures that originally was taken from Habakkuk say, but the just shall live by faith. Four times in the Bible it says the just shall live by faith. Just simply means those that have been made right before God through the blood of Jesus. Okay? How many of you know you're righteous if you're a child of God? How many of you are a child of God? If you're a child of God, you are righteous before God as if sin never existed. The scripture even tells us in the uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, that one of the pieces of armor is the breastplate of righteousness. 
And the breastplate, of course, would cover the vital parts of your body, your heart and your main arteries, you know what I'm saying? And in the spirit realm, the breastplate of righteousness, it says, take the breastplate of righteousness and put the, the breastplate on. And what that means is knowing that you have right standing before Almighty God. Hallelujah. You know, when you became a child of God, you didn't just get your slate cleaned. You know what I'm saying? You got your sins forgiven. That's important. But God did something far more beyond than just having your sins forgiven. He put within you His righteousness. Let me just quote Romans 5, 17, For if by the offense of one man, that's Adam, many were made sinners, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. So there's two men that affected the whole human race, Adam, Jesus. Adam's disobedience contaminated the whole human race because we all came out of Adam. We're all related. We all came out of Adam. And his choice and his wrong decision didn't just affect him. It affected the human race. And I say this from time to time, especially if I'm doing a funeral or something like that, you know, where there's a lot of people that may not know the Lord and you give them the opportunity. I say this, I say the whole entire human race is infected by a disease called sin. And the thing is, you can't heal yourself. Sin affects every person that's ever been born into this earth. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. We've all sinned, right? But the thing is, we can't save ourselves like we can't heal ourselves, so we need someone to do the saving for us. That's the purpose of Jesus coming, giving his life for you, for me. And when you get born again and you invite Jesus into your heart, you get your sins forgiven. Glory to God. But also, you become the righteousness of God in Christ. Amen? And I'll quote, Josh, bring this up. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. And let's look at this. Now, the gift, righteousness is a gift. It's not, you don't work for it. It's not earned. You don't go to college for it. You don't study for it. You don't attain to it. You're either born with righteousness or you're not. When you get born again, you become the righteousness of God. Now look at this, 21, 2 Corinthians 5, 20 says, For he, that's God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us, or for me, personalize it. All right? Who knew no sin, that's Jesus, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, in Christ Jesus. To the degree and to the extent that Jesus took your sin is to the same degree and same extent that he gave you the gift of righteousness. Well, what's that all about? Righteousness, uh, righteous means right standing. Now the best definition I ever heard of it came from a man by the name of E.W. Kenyon. All right. He's an old timer from years ago. Boy, did he have revelation. He said this, he said, the Lord gave him this definition, righteousness is the ability to stand in the presence of God without the sense of guilt, inferiority, as if sin never existed. Wow. Now, I know things that I used to do before I got saved, okay? I still have remember, I remember that, things that I did before I was born again. How many of y'all could remember things you used to do before, in other words, B.C.? Before Jesus came along. Well, see, I, I don't let the devil beat me up with condemnation over something 
that I did before I was saved because as far as I'm concerned, as far as God's concerned, that old man's dead and gone. And Paul said, my old man's been crucified. That's the sinful man has been crucified with Christ. And old things have passed away, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Everything has become brand new. I'm a new species. You're a new species in Christ Jesus. As if sin never existed. It's kind of like Adam and Eve before they sinned in the Garden of Eden. Stand there, no sense of guilt, no sense of fear. But do you notice after Adam sinned is when he hid from the presence of God. God came down on the cool of the day and, and, and Adam knew that, Jesus, that God was there and he ran and he hid himself. Now why did he hide himself? Because of shame and because of guilt and because of sin. Okay? Well, when Jesus came and gave his life for us, he took away the guilt, he took away the shame. I'm telling you, you could, you could have been the, the most wretched sinner that walked the streets of Pittsburgh. That when you came to Jesus, you could have broken all the Ten Commandments. Right? And still Jesus would have saved you if you believed on him and he wipes out your past as if it never existed. From time to time, do you have any here, anybody here ever dealt with guilt before? <laughs> Just a few people. You think, oh, I should have done that better. I should have did this, should have done that. You know what I'm saying? Right? It's called condemnation. Okay? Well, the truth is, I mean, I remember back in my early days when I was when I got saved, you know, I was always under this cloud of guilt and condemnation. I don't know if it's because I was a firstborn in the house. I don't know. I was always trying to achieve and all this kind of stuff. And I never, even after I received Christ as a 16-year-old teenager in 1976, I still felt as if I was never, had this kind of cloud hanging over my head. I felt like I was never doing enough. I wasn't giving enough. I wasn't serving enough. And I always had this, even though I was, and I felt like I was never doing enough. And I didn't even know that it was the enemy behind that, putting that pressure on me. Okay? And it wasn't until a few well, about two years after that, that I got into a church and they began to teach me and, and renew my mind in this area of, of dealing with guilt and condemnation. Okay? Because the Bible says there is therefore now, now, right now, no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. The truth be told, all of us could be doing more, right? All of us could be praying more. All of us could be reading the word more. All of us could be witnessing to other people more, right? But the thing is, that has nothing to do with your righteous standing before God. Amen. And I think the most powerful thing about understanding your right standing before God is it takes away the guilt. It takes away the shame. It literally take, removes the pressure from you so that you can serve God. Now, it's kind of like this. If you ever, a merit-based relationship, let's use that phrase. Have you ever been around a person that you felt like you had to merit your way into them? In other words, you had to do certain things to get in, you know, right with them, a person. Anybody ever done that? Any wives ever done that to their husbands? or? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> We've all done that. And vice versa. <laughs> Hallelujah. And uh, when, when you feel like you have to, if you're not really fully accepted in the presence of a person, okay? If you don't feel like you're really accepted, you feel like you have to prove something, you don't feel good enough. Now, it may not be anything they say, it's just an underlying tone. Did you know body language is more powerful than even the words that you say. Yeah. 
a person's body, we all have body language, we talk about that. And there are people that actually study that in the court of law and stuff like that. They study body language. If they do certain things, they're, like, they're guilty. <laughs> I just know it. He scratched his ear three times. You know what I'm saying? And people study, if people study body language, you know what I'm saying? And, and all of us have that. We have an aura about us, we, a presence about us before we even open our mouths. All right? Now, yet, on the other hand, the flip side of that, the other side of the coin, you can be around someone that loves you unconditionally, that accepts you. You feel like you can just be yourself. You can let your hair down. You, can, you don't have to be perfect. You're not afraid of making a mistake. You can just be, <laughs> I feel relaxed. Amen? That is exactly the way God is. He's not looking down his, his nose from heaven and say, you didn't do enough now today. What's, what's wrong? What's the deal here? Amen. I expect more of you. No, it's when we really are people, when we know that we are unconditionally loved by God, in spite of our faults and failures, which we all have, when we understand the, the amazing love of Christ. The Bible says Christ died for us when we were still yet in sin. He loved us while we were yet in sin. So that had nothing to do with us trying to work our way. We just received the love of God. And I've been, like I said, I've been walking with Christ since 1976. And I'll tell you, the most important subject and the most important thing I think any Christian needs to understand is how much God loves you and how much He cares for you. Because actually when you understand that and grasp that and comprehend that, you're not going to have any problem serving Him. When you know how much you are loved by him, are you kidding? That's the last person I'd want to run from. Do you know every person in this room is just one revelation away from your breakthrough? Just one revelation away. There are people that don't understand, even Christians, that don't understand how much God loves them, how much God cares for them. And they are suffering as a result. We all suffer. I mean, I'll I tell you, there's been times I've suffered. The Bible says perfect love casteth out fear. When you understand how much God loves you, it will eliminate fear from your life. Just say, he loves me. He's going to take care of me. Amen. You know, you've seen that. I don't know what it is exactly, but you, somebody picks a, you know, flower petals and something. He loves me. He loves me not. I don't know where that came from, but I just... He loves me, he loves me not. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes people do that with God. And on any given day, they think, well, does he love me or, or is he upset with me? Yeah. And sometimes the way you were brought up, the way maybe the family you came out of, you know, uh, is like an achievement-based mentality, okay? But there's a freedom, a freedom that comes when you understand that even in spite of my idiosyncrasies, in spite of my problems and so forth, God still loves me. And when you know that, that's when you begin to change effortlessly. That's the most powerful thing is understand that. There's nothing you can do. Let me say this. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more than he does right now. There's nothing you can do. You could sell all that you have, move, move overseas and give everything you have to the poor and give your whole life for the gospel God is not going to love you anymore after you do that. Hallelujah. In fact, people have done that. Okay? So, 
I think I just felt led to share that this morning because I, I think God wants to free us from the sense of not being good enough, not being worthy enough and all this stuff. But I'll tell you, when you understand, here's the thing, when you understand as a Christian, understand God's love for you, then it's easier for you to show other people that exact same kind of love. Amen? Amen. There's not a person in this room that doesn't want to be loved and accepted. Okay? And God designed you and I to be channels and vessels for His love and His goodness to shine through us to other people. Because let's face it, the only Jesus that some people will see is the Jesus that lives in you and me. The world is crying out, with a real Jesus, please stand up. <laughs> People always talk about oh, a bunch of hypocrites and all this kind of stuff, you know. But the world is crying out, will a real Jesus, please stand up. The most powerful subject on the earth is the love of God. It's the most powerful. It is the, it'll wipe away. It'll, it'll free you from guilt. It'll free you from sin. It'll get you healed when you, when you understand how much he loves you. It's not hard. It's not hard to get healed. Okay? Well, today I want to talk about, if you go to the book of Numbers in the Old Testament, chapter 23, let's talk about, just in the time left that we have this morning, about faith's foundation. I mean, what is the basic foundation for having faith in God? All right? Talk about living by faith. That's our subject. Faith foundation. That's Numbers 23 and verse 19. And here we go. It says, God is not a man that he should lie. You see that? God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? But I, I tell you, this scripture is so powerful. God is not a man. Now, we know that men can lie. Men and women, mankind can lie. But there's one person that will never lie, has never lied, and cannot lie. That's God himself. What God has said, bottom line, is the absolute truth. Now, this is the foundation for faith. Because if we ever felt for one minute that God lied about something, you've got to take the whole Bible and throw it away. If there's one lie in the Bible... Think about that. If there's one lie in the Bible. Now, of course, there's incidents where Ananias and Sapphira had lied to God. You know, they, they're people, right? But there's no incident ever found from Genesis to Revelation where God said something and it didn't come to pass. Yeah. Everything God says is true. And it says there that God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. That's Jesus doesn't have to repent because he's never lied. Hath he not said, shall he not do it? Hath he not spoken it, shall he not make it good? So here's faith's foundation, to have strong faith towards God. Now the Bible teaches us that there's different types of faith. There's weak faith, there's strong faith, the Bible refers to that. There's unfeigned faith, genuine faith, and little faith. You can have different types of faith, but boy, I tell you, my goal and our goal together should be to have Strong faith in God. 
Strong faith. That's what he's looking for. And when the Son of Man comes in Matthew, Luke chapter 18, the Bible says, shall the Son of Man, when he comes back, will he find faith in the earth? He's looking for people that just trust him, that believe him. And boy, I tell you what, when you believe God, it'll put joy back in you. Yeah, it's, in, it's impossible to be depressed and read the Word of God if you believe the Word of God. Instead of looking at like a Sears catalog or something, you know, like, oh, that looks good. I don't know if that's for me or not, but you know. <laughs> but when you read the Bible with the understanding that God cannot lie, it's like, did I just read what I just read? Boy, that's, that's great news. God cannot fail. God cannot lie. Now, I would say it like this. Understanding... This is the faith foundation. Understanding the integrity of God's word is the foundation for genuine faith. Understanding the integrity of God's word is the foundation for genuine faith. Amen. I don't know about you, but I like leather products. I like genuine leather, not pleather. <laughs> Do you ever have something that's pleather? It's not, it looks like leather, but you feel it. Nah, that's not, that's no cow there. I can tell you that. And there's a lot of artificial things. It may look like it, it may smell like it, but then you get up to it. That's not the real thing. Everybody ever sit on a real leather couch? You know, they're pretty expensive. You say, it's like, well, this thing's really nice. Leather seats in your car, but really nice, you know. And, uh, but understanding the integrity of God's word is the foundation for genuine faith. That when I read that word, whether, whether in any book of the Bible, it's like, that's the truth. God can't lie. We'll get into that. Let's go over real quick to the book of Genesis or page 3 in your Bible. Genesis chapter 3. And we know the story here about uh, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And the Lord told Adam when he put him in the garden. Now you stop and think about this before I say, share this scripture here. When God made man, when God made Adam, he gave him the responsibility of parenting the entire human race. Okay? He could have created the whole human race at one time, but he, he made one man and one woman, and he gave them the authority and the responsibility of parenting the entire human race. So their, their choice and their decision contaminated the whole human race. That's Adam, right? But the Bible says Jesus is called the second Adam, and he made a choice that impacted and affected the whole human race for good. How many of Adam's choice and Adam's decision of disobeying God affected more than just him? It affected the whole human race. And our, our choices to obey God or disobey God will affect more than just us. It will affect us, but it will affect generations of people. But thank God for Jesus that he made a right choice. And when we believed on him, we were refathered. We came into him. Now we know that in the Garden of Eden, when God created Adam... He told him to dress the garden and to keep it, or keep means to guard, which signified that there was an enemy there. He said, you dress it, you take authority, you have the dominion. And, uh, 
And he says, every tree of the garden, every tree, thousands of trees, you may have freely. But the tree which is in the midst of the garden, he says, that's my tree. God said, that's the tithe. That belongs to me. Okay? He said, but you can have all the rest of the trees. But we know that the devil in the form borrowed the body of a serpent. And this actually happened. Okay? This is not a mythical thing. This is not a cartoon thing or a Sunday school lesson. This actually happened. Okay? And Genesis 3 verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman. Now first and foremost, a snake talking to a woman. Now that would grab your attention. Wouldn't it? Any animals, your cat, your dog, whatever, you know, lizard, whatever. If, that's, if that thing started opening its mouth and saying something to you, you'd be like... I mean, you'd be like, what in the world is going on here? But evidently, that was before the fall, before Adam sinned. It was a normal thing for animals to communicate. Now, when the Bible says in the millennial reign of Christ, that's a thousand year reign of Christ, we'll be there with him. It says that the lion will lie down with a lamb and the kid will play in his snake's den, but there will be nothing that will hurt or nothing that will be destroyed. And God will restore that. Now, all we know is what's happened since the fall. So look at what happened here. The woman, that, that, that he said to the woman, the serpent, the Satan, through the serpent said, Yea, that's verse 1, Hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And there's a question mark after that. Hath God said? Now the Lord said this, If you eat this tree that I, it was reserved for me, He says, You will surely die. Now we know that they didn't die physically right then and there. It wasn't until hundreds of years later. But they did die spiritually. They were separated from God. Spiritual death. There's more than one kind of death mentioned in the Bible. We're familiar with physical death, with the separation of the spirit and the soul from the physical body. You know, if you go to a funeral home and you see someone lying in the casket, their body's there and that's it. But their spirit and their soul, hopefully, are with Jesus. <laughs> Amen? And, and, and the woman, verse 2, so the woman said to the serpent, I see a conversation going on here. We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the, woman said, or the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. Everybody say liar. <laughs> okay. And so uh, she believed. In fact, Timothy says that the man was not deceived in the transgression, but the woman was deceived. Adam was not off in the garden somewhere when, when fishing when this, this thing incident took place because when she took of the fruit, now we, we just assumed that it was an apple. It may not be. It could be a banana for all we know. Okay? It just says she took of the fruit. And we always see an, ap an apple. You know what I'm saying? It may not even been an apple. Could have been guava fruit for all we know. You know, pretty tropical area. Right? And uh, he was right there. He was responsible for say saying, no, we're going to put our foot down here. We're going to stop this thing. Dress the garden and keep it. But how did, this whole, how did this whole thing start? Well, we know that Lucifer originally was, the, the Bible, it means shining one. And I believe that, that 
Lucifer was Jesus' archangel in heaven before he became the devil. Isaiah talks about it. Ezekiel talks about it. You know, when, when, when he sinned, he was a chief archangel. And he was lifted in pride in Isaiah 14. And he says, I will be like the Most High God. I'm going to exalt myself above the throne of God. I will be like the Most. There's like five I wills in Isaiah 14, I think it is. And so pride was found in him. And, uh, uh, you know, it's pretty stupid to think you're going to overtake God's throne. And Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, he says, Behold, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. This wasn't like a feather floating down from heaven that took forever. It was like, boom, lightning from heaven. And as, as fast as he thought he was going to exalt himself against the stars of God, he took one-third of the angels with him that he joined in rebellion against to overtake the throne of God. Bad move. So he was cast to the ground, you see. And so his, he's a fallen spirit in the earth at this point. He barred the serpent's body. But how did he get in there? Did You know, most of the Hollywood movies depict the devil like, wah, you know, like, you know, head spinning around, projectile, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, like exorcist type stuff, you know, like demons, and, and sure, it can be like that, but, but let me tell you something, the work of the devil is so subtle sometimes you think it's like, that seems okay, he's very subtle, and so he came along and he told the woman, he says, basically he said this, he said, do you really think... I'm paraphrasing. Do you think God really meant what he said? Oh, he's just trying to keep you from something. See, that's how the devil entices people to sin. Like, you know, you're really missing out on this. Look at everybody else. They're having a great time. You're really missing out. Well, the wages of sin is death, right? You're just missing out on some bad stuff. Now, the Bible says sin has pleasure for a season, right? If it, if it were not like that, nobody would sin. There's a certain amount of pleasure attached to sinning and doing things wrong, right? How many of you know when you get ticked off at someone, your flesh is like, I felt good. They, they cut me off on the road. You yell and scream at somebody. Your flesh is like, that felt good. But then you're like, but there's a better way. The devil always comes with the thought, God is lying to you. He's trying to keep something from you. Think about that. He's trying to keep something from you. Oh, he's trying to keep something good from you. He says, the day the devil said, don't you know you'll be just like God. If you partake of that fruit, you'll be just like God. Wait a second. They're already made in God's likeness, in God's image. This is before they sin. They're already made. There's nothing lacking, nothing missing, nothing broken. You know, when God created Adam, he was the last of creation, the six days of creation. Adam was not created on the first day. God did not put Adam on a moon surface where there's, no, there's nothing. It's just a big round ball <laughs> and dirt. God made all the vegetation, the seas and the animals and the land creatures and the plants and everything that we know before he created Adam and he put him into a garden that was turnkey. Do you understand that phrase? There was nothing wrong. There was nothing missing. He put him in a perfect environment. He had everything that he could ever want. He was made in God's likeness and God's image. 
He said, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every creeping thing, over creeps and everything else. (laughs) Amen. Amen. But the devil said, you're missing out. You're missing out. You could have it better. God's trying to keep you from something. Oh, yeah. But if you partake of this tree, you'll become just like him. Liar. You're already perfect. You're already whole. You're already made in God's likeness. There's nothing there that's missing. Amen. So the devil's a liar. He, he tries to deceive people into thinking that they're missing out on something like you are in Christ Jesus. No, you have everything that you could ever want, need, or ask for already been accomplished in the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. Man, I feel the preach this morning. Amen? Hallelujah. But the devil came along, and this is the same tactic that he uses today. Do you really think God meant what he said? I know the Bible says in Philippians 4.13 that my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I know the Bible says that, but the devil will say, that was just for the Apostle Paul. Do you think that's really for you? I know the Bible says in 1 Peter 2.24 that by his stripes ye were healed since 2,000 years ago. That Jesus took those stripes on his body so you could be healed. I know the Bible says that, but the devil will say, yeah, but that's not for you. Liar. He's a liar. And we'll see in a second here, Satan is a liar and the father of lies. Hallelujah. And so the primary way that the, the primary scheme that the devil uses, even to this day, is to get you and me to doubt the integrity of God's word. Uh, he doesn't really mean that. That's not really for me. But the truth is, we'll see this in a second here, it's impossible for God to lie so that we can have strong faith in the Lord. Strong faith. Amen? I don't have to convince myself that my wife loves me. I don't have to ask her 30 times a day, do you love me? Do you care for me? That would be insulting to her. If I kept asking, I'd get on her nerves real quick. I said, honey, do you love me today? Five minutes later, do you love me? She'd say, get a life. You know what I'm saying? It would be insulting to her because I'm doubting her love for me. I know she loves me. It frees me up. I can just be myself after 37 years. Amen? Hallelujah. And, uh, and that's sometimes what we do with, with God. We're like, Lord, I know that. Because the devil always uses circumstance. You know, you will go through a hard place. All of us go through a hard place in this life. Some type of a hardship that we go through. And the enemy is always sitting there lurking behind the scenes saying, if God really loved you, that wouldn't have happened. And that's why some people that don't have a firm foundation, their roots kind of back away from the things of God. And they don't even realize they're doing it. They're like, well, I know the word says it, but why did this happen? Why, why, why? Get rid of the why. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. Not he loves me, loves me not. He cares for me. Listen, everybody, everybody goes through different things. But what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, 
who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Praise God. When I wake up in the morning, the first thing I want to hear is, and you know, this is so awesome, because the Lord does this to me all the time. Now, I don't hear it with these ears here, but I hear it with my spiritual ears, just like you hear the Lord too. Sometimes you, you tend to question that, well, maybe I'm just making up those words. But listen, the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, lives inside your spirit. You're going to pick up what He's saying to you. I guarantee it. You will pick up what He's saying. Now, it may not be all fireworks and bells and whistles. You know, like on Mount Sinai when God spoke from the top of the mountain and the fire and the lightning and all that. But it's a still, small voice. And He'll say things like this, Son. I said, Yes, Lord. Sometimes I'll just be laying in bed at 4 o'clock in the morning and say, Son... I said, yes, Lord. I just woke up. He said, I love you today. I hear that in my spirit. Now, I could reject that. I could write that off and say, that's just me. But I've chosen to receive that. And it brings God great pleasure when you receive his love. It, frustrate, it would frustrate you if you're a parent, you know, and you've got a child, that you're trying to show them how much you care for them and how much you love them, and they just don't believe it. Man, that's, that's really frustrating. You know what I mean? And God, as being our, our heavenly Father, wants to give good things to us every single day. He loves us so much. He wants to lavish you with good things. He wants to give you wisdom in the midst of confusion. He wants to give you peace in the midst of turmoil. He wants to give you the assurance that you're going to be taken care of. When everything out there looks unstable in the world... We have a stability in Christ that far surpasses anything in the natural. God will take care of us. So the enemy of our souls still to this day, his main weapon and main target is to say, do you really think God meant what he said? Amen? If I'm, if I'm, if I'm correct, which I believe I am because the word's correct, if I believe in the integrity of God's word, I will never question his word again. I will never say, well, that's just for the Jews or that's for the guy down the street. But I, I believe what God, God is not a man that he should lie. But well, let me tell you something, that brings God great pleasure. Praise God. It's kind of interesting, you know, because Jesus would spin around sometimes with people in the Bible and say, oh, what great faith. I've not found this kind of faith. No, not in Israel. The thing is, that person didn't even know they had great faith. Right? Didn't even realize it. Jesus spun around and said, I have this centurion who wasn't even a Jew. He was a Roman centurion. Now, last time I checked, the Romans came in to overtake Israel. They were controlling Israel at that time. They were occupying Israel at that time, right? Yet, you have a guy that gets in on the covenant... And uh, Jesus, he said, my servants lie at home sick, you know. And Jesus said, I'll, I'll come and heal them. And the guy said this. He said, uh, he says, uh, look, I'm not worried that you should even come under my roof. He says, just speak the word only and my servant will be healed. Now, most people would have, if, if Jesus said, I'm going to come to your house, you'd say, let's go. Come on. Come with me now. <laughs> he said, 
He said, it's not necessary. You're, you're a busy man. Look, all you got to do is just speak the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus said, guys, look at this example. I've not found faith like this throughout all Israel. He wasn't even a covenant person. He wasn't even Jewish. And what happened? That very same minute that he said that, boom, his, son got, his servant got set free. Right? The centurion. But his, his statement was this. He says, I'm, uh, you know, Roman centurion, I forget how many people he had underneath him. Somebody might know. But he had maybe 100 people or so underneath him. And he's a, he has people. He says, look, I'm a man under authority. I have people under me, and I say to this one go, and he go, to this one come, and he cometh, to this doeth this, and he doeth it. He goes, I, I understand the command of authority. He goes, Jesus, I know you're a man under authority. All you've got to do is just give the word, give the command. Jesus marveled at his faith. And when Jesus said, I've not found so great, he was standing there when he said, I've not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. He was standing right there. He probably thought, is he talking about me? That I have great faith? He just had faith in the authority. When you understand authority that we have, that Jesus has, that we have in the earth, faith becomes easier to function in. Amen. Oh, man. So, uh, real quickly, go to John chapter 8. We've got to wrap this up here today. Just got a couple minutes left. In John chapter 8, uh, we'll pick up in verse 40. Are you learning something this morning? Praise God. That's our goal. That's our goal. Church is for learning. We come to church to grow. We come to church to learn. And then we step out these doors. We apply what has been taught to us. And make the devil have the worst day of his life. <laughs> now in John chapter 8 verse 40 it says, Jesus said, now you seek, he's talking to the religious leaders of, in Israel. He said, now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth which I have heard from God, this did not Abraham. Verse 41. You do the deeds of your father. Now again he's talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious people of Israel, he says, You do the deeds of your father. And they said unto him, We be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. In verse 42, Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Verse 43, Why do you not understand my speech? even because you cannot hear my word. Now get this. Now Jesus is going to ruffle some feathers here, majorly. He's going to rub the cat's fur the wrong way. But like John Osteen used to say, if the cat's fur rubs the wrong way, then turn the cat around. <laughs> he says, verse 44, the religious leader, Jesus said, you are of your father, the devil. Uh-oh. And the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. He is he that speaketh a lie. Notice that when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. Now we, use, we kind of change it up and we'll say Satan is the father of lies. That's where that comes from right there. Satan's the father of lies. You know, you're, you're believing God for God to touch your physical body. Okay, Father, I, I'm looking to you to touch my body, to heal my body. And this thought comes to you 
Now it's not audibly, you don't hear it, but a thought comes to you. You don't have enough faith. You don't have what it takes. You're not spiritual enough. You haven't prayed long enough. And yes, you haven't read your Bible long enough. Condemnation. And so he's trying to get you to, he's lying to you when the only thing that he can speak is a lie. And that's why I said so much of the time people have used the Hollywood version of Satan and and the drama and all this kind of stuff. But he's a lot more subtle than that. Okay? And the first thing he'll get you to do and me to do is to question the integrity of God's word. Did, Did God really mean that? Did he really say that? Okay? Now here's one more scripture. Go to Hebrews chapter 6. In Hebrews chapter 6. And we'll pick up in verse 17. The integrity of God's word is the number one foundation for developing and having stronger faith towards God. His word is true. And you can always tell if if a person believes the word of God or not. how, How excited you get. Amen. There, I've preached to thousands of people through the years. I mean, thousands since 19, geez, 83. Many, many people through the years I've ministered to. And you can generally tell, for the most part, what's on a person's face, whether they're getting it or not. Okay? If someone's bored, it shows up on their face. If someone's constantly looking at their watch, yawning, looking around, they really don't believe what God's Word says. But yet if someone's like on the edge of their seat, they're like, give me some more. Yeah. And they're smiling and they're happy about it. They're getting it. Mm-hmm. Okay? Body language. Right? Paul did that when he was in Galatia. The Apostle Paul did it. There was a man impotent from his mother's womb who had never walked before. And Paul there preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's in Acts, is it 19? 19. And Paul preached the gospel. And the Bible says, Paul, perceiving that the man had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped up and he walked for the very first time. Praise God. Now, Paul perceived that the man had faith to be healed. How did he perceive that? It's a spiritual discernment. But I believe that there was body language involved. He's preaching the gospel that you can be not only forgiven, you can be healed of this disease too. And he was crippled. He never walked before. So if he's hearing good news that I don't have to stay crippled, I don't have to stay in this position anymore. He's made a choice, obviously, to believe what Paul said. Maybe there's other people there at that present meeting that didn't have the same attitude, but Paul perceiving the man had faith to be healed, he's still sitting there lame. But he had faith. And Paul just said with a loud voice, stand up on your feet. And he was just dumb enough to say, okay. (laughs) Even though I've never walked before. He just started moving. All of a sudden, whoa, something happened to my legs. Something, some kind of feeling came back in my legs for the first time. Folks, we don't have to wait for the prayer line for an invitation to be healed. You can be healed right in your seat right now. And I, you know, as, as, uh, just 30 seconds ago when I was saying that somebody that had some type of issue in their neck, something in their neck is being healed right now. The healing power of God is going into your, I don't know what that is, something in your neck. 
is being healed right now. Well, just for, okay. All right. That's the presence of Jesus doing that. That's the presence of Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, while, while, while Paul was preaching, while he was preaching, the Bible says signs will follow the preaching of the word. In Mark 16, Jesus said these signs will follow them that believe. When you preach the word of God, there's going to be signs and wonders confirming the word. That's always the way it should be. Amen? Now in Hebrews chapter 6, and we'll close here, in verse 17, the Bible says this, it says, Wherein, verse 17, wherein God is, God willing more abundantly, we'll wait till it gets up on the screen there. There That's Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 17. There we go. Praise the Lord. Aren't you glad for that screen? (laughs) It says, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs the promise of immutability on the council confirmed by an oath. Now, we'll explain that. That by two immutable things, which is it, it is, was impossible for God to lie. See, it's impossible for God to lie. That we might have a strong consolation and fled the refuge, the lay hold, and the hope it has set before us. Now notice this in verse 19. Which hope we have is an anchor to the soul, both sure and steadfast, wherein entereth into the veil. Now let's just sum this up here in conclusion today. We can see from these verses right here, number one, it's impossible for God to lie. Impossible. Amen. Now, people can, women, men, people can lie, but God cannot lie. And he said, when we know this, we understand that we can have a strong confidence, strong confidence. Praise God that what he said is true. He said it's like this. It's like an anchor to our soul. And I'll conclude with this today. An anchor, I remember years ago, many, many years ago now, probably close to 25 years ago, there was a, uh, in our first church that we pastored, there was a gentleman that liked to fish. I mean, he, he loved to fish. He was always out fishing all the time, you know. A lot of times he'd miss church to go fishing. I said, Dave, I said, you can't put that before God, man. He said, well, you know, God's out there on the lake. I know he's out there on the lake, but he's in church too. Is that? People come on and say, that's my church. Oh, come on. Oh, come on. I never saw someone get healed out in a fishing boat unless they're believing God. I never saw them out in the mountain with a gun ready to shoot some animal. And the Spirit of God visits them, you know. <laughs> Nothing wrong with hunting and fishing. You understand that. I'm not saying that at all. It's fun to do, amen? Golf, whatever you like to do. But uh, I remember he took me out, uh, and he had this little bass boat. It wasn't real big. It was just a small bass boat, but I'd never been out on one before. And we went to this lake. We went to this lake. I remember it was Cross Creek Lake. That's out Route 50. You've been there, brother? Cross Creek Lake, and it was a man-made lake. You know, it used to be a farm. They filled it in and all that with water. So a lot of times when you're fishing there, I mean, you'll... You'll get snags like you wouldn't believe. You know, it might be some chimney from a whole house that used to be there. But it's under the water, okay? And so, 
He said, Keith, we're going to go bass fishing. Now, I never went bass fishing before, but he really taught me how to do largemouth bass, okay? And my son was just real small. He went with us, too, a few times, you know. And, and, um, and I thought, what's the big deal about catching a bass? Until I caught my first bass, I was like, this is kind of cool. I mean, their mouth is like that big around, you know what I'm saying? Bigger than some people, <laughs> you know? And largemouth bass, you know? And I mean, boy, those things put up a fight. And he taught me how to catch them and how to, all that kind of stuff, you know, what little I did know. But one of the times we were out there, um, it was a windy day. And, you know, we would like to go into these coves where the bass like to hang out, you know what I mean? They get under like some brush or something, you know, and... They like to hide there, and some, something comes by, they'll come out and snag it, you know what I'm saying? And so we would go try to go back in those, those little coves and fish back in there, right? Because you know they're pretty, pretty much, they're going to be back in there, they're hiding there, you can't see them, but you know they're there. But this one day, it started getting really windy, and the boat wouldn't stay still, it kept getting pushed into the shoreline. Time after time, he says, well, we're going to have to do something about this, and I'm thinking, I didn't know what he was going to do. He said, we've got to put the anchor down. Now, when we think of anchor, we think of like, you know, like, you know, like Popeye or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Like a big anchor, right? Like those, those are for big boats. But his anchor was a milk jug filled with cement. And it was in the back of the boat. I didn't even know it was there. He pulled it out and it was con- connected to a rope. And he, he said, Keith, just drop it in the water right now. So we drop it in the water. I thought, is this really going to work? But I noticed when I put the anchor in the water, the wind was still blowing, the waves were still beating against the ship, but we didn't move. Okay? So, what is the purpose of an anchor? To keep you stable in troubled waters. Because the trials of life, the waves of life, try to beat against our souls, our mind. Soul is our mind. Okay? Doubts come to your soul, to your mind, right? Doubts. That's not going to work for you. But he said, when we understand that God cannot lie, he said, it's like an anchor. In other words, it keeps our soul stable in troubled waters. And when the waves are beating against our thinking, you know, like, yeah, it's not going to work. It's not going to work this time. Your roots are anchored in the Word of God. Say, I'm not moved by this. I believe God's Word. Amen? And I've, I've done this in hospitals, on hospital beds, when I had the worst case information coming to me from the docs. A few times. But within myself, there's an anchor in my soul. And I put that anchor down deep into the Word of God. And I said, thank you, Father. You cannot lie. I might have felt the waves. I might have felt a beating against my body, so to speak, you know. But my hope is in the Word of the living God. Um, my anchor, my hopes, and my faith is not in myself. It's in the Word of God. And I can tell you unmistakably that when your hope is in the Word of God, no matter what's coming against you, you can be just like Jesus on the back of the boat when the waves and the winds and the disciples are freaking out. And that Jesus is back of the ship asleep on a pillow. It's probably my pillow. That's why he can still sleep. Best night of rest you ever had. I don't know if Mike Lindell was out back then or not, but you know. How many of you heard that commercial thousands of times? Okay. 
And he's back there asleep on a pillow. And the disciples, all the 12 of them are like freaking out. And they said, we're going to die. Jesus is in your boat and you're freaking out. Amen. And they woke him up and they said, Master. King James says, Carest thou not that we perish? Now that's King James. We would say it like this. We are about to die. Don't you give a rip? <laughs> that's how we would say it. You're not, you don't care. You're sleeping. We're about to go under. And Jesus stood up and he rebuked the wind and the waves with his word. He says, peace be still. And there was a great calm. And they were spellbound. They were like, oh my God. What kind of guy is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? But Jesus told his disciples, where is your faith? He expected them to do something about it because when they started out, Jesus said, let's go to the other side. Let's pass over. He didn't say, let's try. Let's see if we can do this. He said, let's go to the other side. As far as Jesus is concerned, it's done. We're going to the other side. But from point A to point B, a storm arose and the devil came and said, Jesus didn't mean what he said. You're going to die now. They started, their, their, their faith was not in what Jesus said. Jesus said, we're going, folks. We're going to the other side. And that's the beautiful thing about Jesus is because he'll come along in the midst of your chaos. Yes. He'll come along in the midst of your fear and he'll say something to you by his spirit and he, he intends for you to grab hold of it and say, Thank you, Lord. But I think, and I've done this. I know I've, I've, I know I've done this, and I'm sure all of us have done this. Sometimes we reject what the Lord, He's trying to tell us something to comfort us. He's trying to tell us something that's going to help us. But we push it off and say, oh, that's, that couldn't be God. That's just me. And then we get full of fear. We get all anxious. And I've done it myself. More times than I'd like to think. But I'm learning. That in the midst of chaos, in the midst of ways, in the midst of, you know what I'm saying, the trials of life coming against you with your family, with your future, with your finances, with your body, all these different bad reports trying to come against you sometimes. And the devil said, sitting there in the background saying, it ain't working for you, it's not going to work for you. You might as well forget it. But if I believe what he's saying, then I will be full of fear, I will be anxious, I will be upset, and I will... You know, if you're upset about one thing, it'll cause you to get angry at other people. Do you ever notice that? And a lot of times the reason people get angry is because they feel like they're not in control. Ask me how I know. <laughs> but that's just human nature. We get angry sometimes when things aren't going our way. That, Like, wait a minute. Things don't always have to go perfectly to be happy. They don't have to be perfect. To be happy. You can be happy even when things are still a little chaotic. But you know what? God's going to work it out. He's going to take care of you. He's going to work it out. No need for you to get your feathers ruffled. No need for you to get upset. Stay in faith. Stay in peace. Stay in the peace of God that passes understanding because He will take you through that storm. Praise God. And I'll tell you what. I believe today there's a change. There's a shift in our hearts and our minds today. I believe that with all my heart. That our foundation of our trust in God is getting deeper and stronger. And the things that used to rattle you and the things that used to shake you and trouble you will no longer do that again. 
because my roots are in Christ. My anchor is deep in the Word of God, and I'm not moved by this thing. And all of a sudden, the waves pass, the wind stops, and you're standing there like, it worked. The Word of God works. And see, the Word of God will work for whosoever will. Think it not strange, saith the Lord, think it not strange that the Word of God would work just for one or two. For my Word has been destined to work for whosoever will believe my Word. Great faith is available and belongs to every child of God. Take the step, take the plunge, saith the Lord, believe my Word, act on my word, and you will see supernatural things happen right before your very eyes. Even though your flesh will try to deceive you, even though your mind will try to deceive you and say, it's not going to work for you, you can stand there in the midst of that chaos and have your anchor deep in my word and know this, what you trust me for and what you believe me for will come to pass. And so rejoice and be glad. Hallelujah. 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 We rejoice. We rejoice. We rejoice, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.